Talking Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, we are with Viv Quick this afternoon. Viv, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Please okay. don't be modest. Oh, all right. <laughs> I was born in 1944 and started to work for the National Health Service in 1960. And I'm still working for the NHS, so that's almost 60 years now. So I started off as a general nurse, just loved it, always loved nursing. So when I moved here, I started a different kind of nursing. I did school nursing. So then I got so involved... Teaching sex education was my passion. Um, so I, I made all my own resources and kind of won the, an award for different ones that I'd done. This was just trying to get money to finance it. I'm just trying to get my head around you making resources to discuss sex. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well. <laughs> what sort of resources did you make? Okay, well, I made a game. It was based on like a board game type of thing. So class of 30 kids split them into six groups and they had to have a name. So it was a competition. So they had to have a name for their group and they earned points by discussing and um, knowing facts and figures. So the game was um, true and false, question and answer, dilemmas, what am I? So it was in uh, six categories and... It was, it was great fun, but they learnt a lot. They also learnt to talk to each other because that's one of the things that's very difficult for young people, actually, is to be up front and talk about things. But because they wanted to win, they were able to do things. Have you found over the years that teenagers have become happier to talk about those things or would you say the levels have stayed the same? I mean, there's a lot more sex education now, isn't there? And is it a topic they're more sort of willing to engage with? I think they are. I think that you have to have the skills to be able to engage with a class of young people. One is that, I mean, they do get embarrassed. They don't like to think they might say something that other people might think is silly. So that's why it works when you put them into small groups so they can discuss with each other. But overall, I think there's so much kind of going on now that perhaps wasn't 20 years ago like this whole thing about you know rape and consent and pornography I think young people these days do have an opinion about it and it isn't quite so closed off in schools either so I think yes I think they are more open to talk about it you know I used to work for quite a few years in the family planning clinic where we had a young people's clinic and sometimes, you know, sometimes the girls would come in, they wouldn't even know the name of the person that they'd had sex with. Teaching sex education has improved so much. It's not just the, the kind of biology. It has to do with, well, things like pleasure, things like being able to say no, all of those. And of course, it's all wrapped up with self-esteem as well. Has sex education made a big difference? I think so, yes. And I think that we're just at the stage now where it, certainly for secondary schools, it's mandatory. And I think that schools on the whole, secondary schools on the whole, 
are quite nervous about that because teachers on the whole aren't taught to, to teach sex education. They've got their, their subject. Absolutely. I mean, my memory of teaching sex education is that, I mean, I never did it, but it was not something that you look forward to doing. It was, it was, it was a tough lesson that needed a specialist, as you say, somebody with the skills uh, to know how to do it. Absolutely. And I think you have to use active learning techniques, which is how kind of games, discussions, you know, things like trying to tease out of young people, is a situation okay or not okay? You know, so that, that you give them, a say, a dilemma and they have to decide whether they think it's OK or not OK. And then we look at the law. I think all of those things are so different to sex education. And really, they've changed the name now. So they call in it relationships and sex education rather than SRE. It's RSE now, relationships and sex education. How would you encourage... Um the role of a parent, we, I've got four, four children, we've got four children, and I'm conscious two of them are teenagers, and how can we be best sort of preparing them? What would be your advice on parenting? I think that you have to stay open, and I think you have to have discussions. You know, it doesn't have to be specific, but I've always encouraged parents at times to say, what's going on? In the, in the soaps, you know, if... I mean, lots of kids don't watch soaps. But there's, there's things that are going on, even political things. If you can get them discussing anything, then when it comes round to knowing that you can be open to talk about these things... I mean, unfortunately, I think during my time, I've had, you know, one or two, maybe more than one or two, girls that have come to see me that have been really unhappy because they know that they're going to upset their parents and they didn't have the gut to talk to their parents. One of the girls that came to see me, she said she was a lesbian and she just knew that her parents would absolutely freak out. And so it's it's getting parents to give the impression that they're open for discussion. You don't necessarily have to agree with necessarily what they're doing, but if they know that you're going to accept them, whatever they do, that makes a lot of difference. I think the language of love is really important. I was quite, so I was quite struck by the change in name from sex to relationships because I think as parents, as educators, sometimes we can get very fixated on the idea of sex or yes. sexuality or consequences of that or the dangers of that. But actually, how much time are we putting in to teach our children about relationship, which is obviously the mm. whole platform for all of that uh, and as you say for pleasure for you know for all kinds of reasons and actually sometimes that can sort of be beaten out of them a little bit if we're not careful absolutely and i think that um, we had a very good pshe training group here in bath so there were four of us that um train we've trained i think 300 nurses teachers and it focused mainly on the relationships you know how how do you cope with these situations? How do you teach certain aspects? And it just is so important. Unfortunately, schools can't release teachers to come because of finances. So last year was our last year that we did it. But that's a real, real pity. You mentioned Dee. Um, uh, mm -hmm. She told me a funny story because you, you got given an MBE. I did. Because <laughs> um, I think you were telling us earlier you worked for the Blair government as well, didn't you? Well, it was during it was Tony Blair when he came into into Parliament. They he set up the social exclusion unit, 
So what did they, they well, say? Well, she said when you went to see the Queen to get oh, your yes. MBE, she, the Queen said to you... She said, what kind of nurse are you? So I said, I work with young people, sexual health and teenage pregnancy. So she leant forward and she said, my dear, how depressing for you. <laughs> 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 so I said, it's not depressing at all. It's really encouraging working with, you know, young people and, and really trying to help them out of a scrape sometime. So she was lovely. She was very gracious. Uh, I didn't offer Philip any condoms. Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's sorry. It strikes me on that subject. I mean, the, the, the comment that she said, which I'm sure was, um, you know, meant jokingly. But we are, you know, what does it mean to be British with this topic? Because we are peculiarly kind of held back, aren't we? Or repress, suppress, whatever word we want to use. I mean, our generation was... I suspect your generation was even you know, more. Yes. Yeah. How 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 do we find a way through that so that actually in the way that we educate and talk, our children aren't just becoming a part of that sort of vicious circle? I think it's been interesting over the years when we've had groups of children from, say, Spain or France, you know, quite strong Catholic countries. They've been into our schools and they they couldn't believe how kind of repressed. British young people were. Again, Holland, our teenage pregnancy rate has always been five times higher than than Holland, and it's because somewhere they were able, they've been able to talk about sex, but also been able to talk about the fact that, you know, their bodies are changing and that they want to be able to experiment. And I think that... I think things have changed with our Britishness, but... It is. It has been in the past kind of shock, horror. And I think that we've always had the notion, if you think about old kind of television comedies, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know. So there's that kind of atmosphere that goes on. But in fact, the nudge, nudge, wink, wink doesn't kind of explain anything. It's all innuendo. Mm. And I think that it's not talked about. in well, It wasn't talked about in families. I mean, I don't know what, what you were like. I know if um, uh, when I was a kid, if, if there was kissing or anything on the television, then, I mean, I was embarrassed and my parents were horrified. I remember, um, I think it was my daughter asked me a question when she was about eight about some part of reproduction or something, and I sort of stuttered and I think I started talking about tadpoles or something and my wife just came in from next door having fortunately overheard and just sort of took control and said you know you just give them a straight answer don't don't sort of speak so kind of euphemistically about it all and I found that really helpful actually but as a as an educator you know I remember we had a situation with boys who'd been you know caught accessing pornography and um, I remember vividly one time a sort of parent being there and sort of saying to me well, so and so has been doing and you know, looking at pornography, and I've had a word with him and told him that you're going to talk to him about it, <laughs> yes. and promptly sort of scarped out the room and left me there. And I thought, well, I will. I'm very happy to. But it struck me then, you know, gosh, you are very uncomfortable actually mm. discussing any of this. I think that I don't know whether you saw the Sex Education show. No, I didn't. Um, I think you can still kind of get hold of it, but they, in fact, it was a school in just outside of Bristol in Hannam where they went and they invited, it was year 10 boys, they interviewed how many of them were watching porn and then they brought, with the boys' consent, they brought a group of parents in 
and showed the parents what their their boys had been watching. I mean, one mother vomited, you know, because it was so horrific and so shocking. And I think that is one of the statistics, is that most parents do not know or believe that their children are watching porn or accessing porn. What advice would you give to parents in today's world, recognising that the world of pornography has changed so much? In the olden days, it was lift up a mattress, or yeah. but it's not like that now. So, no. so how would you advise that parents help their teenagers to navigate this journey? I think that parents do need to have a conversation, not saying, are you watching porn, but actually talking about the, the statistics about kind of and how porn can damage. I mean, addiction to porn is fairly kind of rampant with, with our young people. And I think that parents need to be educated themselves. So they need to know about some of the sites that young people are accessing and some of the reasons are kind of getting into it as well and how it affects them. So I think if, I mean, low mood and all of those things, if you've got a young person, one of your children is, is feeling or changed personality, it's a bit like drugs. I think you have to kind of talk about it head on. It's interesting because I saw a programme on pornography and... Um... They were showing, I think through neuroscience or whatever, that actually when a, a person who's addicted to pornography watches pornography, what happens in their brain is similar to a sort of taking heroin. It's a very, very strong chemical reaction. Yeah, it, it is. That's um, very, very strong. And I think that once that visual image is in their mind, it's very, very hard to let go of it, which is why they then have to keep kind of going back and repeating it. And that can happen when... Um, children come across something accidentally at the age 10 11 and then they they just can't get rid of it or they want to 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 look at it more and more i did quite a lot of sort of questionnaires and things in the boarding house i was involved in and it became clear from sort of research i, I think i told you yeah. earlier it became a bit embarrassing because i was sort of known as the uh, the porn guy at school which was a slightly un, unfortunate title but you know that, that actually was sort of around the sort of years nine and ten where people were first accessing porn. Yes. The other thing that, see, young people are very good at hiding and they're so kind of digitally savvy, aren't they? But, you know, the emojis, they can be accessing all sorts of things and with certain messages, so like the aubergine has got a kind of a special sexual <laughs> connotation. Um, there's all sorts of things that... Um, I have to say, I never in... found the aubergine particularly sexy. So <laughs> <laughs> Is there a classic reason why a young person may become addicted to pornography? Is there a sort of a, a, a reason for why it may happen? Or is it just by chance or social pressure? Probably, or? I think it's by chance. And I think it's kind of what happens if it was a mistake that they got onto the site. It's that shock that then makes them want to go go back and look again and again. I suppose it, it's, you know, it's that whole thing. As particularly as young men are developing, you know that that testosterone's rushing around right. their bodies. So your advice would be, um, you know, just thinking about those parents as well. Just it is to talk about it uh, in an advisory way, in a non-confrontational yeah, way. Definitely non-confrontational, but also to find out themselves more about um, the effects that it's having. 
one of the things if you talk to to boys about pornography is I think it's often like you were alluding to earlier it's when they're feeling lonely mm. it's when they're feeling um kind of kind of just a sense of sort of boredom sometimes but also I think you know when other friends are in, in relationships and they're not and they feel they're missing out I think there's also one aspect we did a whole year 11 assembly at way school few years ago when pornography was beginning to rear its head kind of educationally wise there were some boys that were just so brave you know but one of them said sex education's been crap for us and um, we want to know how to do it so that's where we look and um, you know and there's truth in that you know that things like Pleasure has always been a no-no in terms of sex education in the past. You know, you, you shouldn't talk about such things. And just relationships in general, you know, how far should you go? Masturbation. Masturbation is still a topic in some of our schools where you can't mention it. I mean, one of the things I was struck by in a previous school where we'd heard that there was quite a lot of pornography use, uh, we took in all the computers and the gadgets and... Some poor person had to trawl through and see what was on them all. But actually, what one of the things that surprised us was how much pornography there was on girls' computers and mm. phones. And I think um, we weren't expecting that. Has mm. um, is there, is there been much research into that? There has been. Um, I'm not sure of the figures. It was certainly more with boys, but certainly girls are. And that has to do with their self-esteem. So one of the biggest in um, plastic surgery, one of the biggest kind of areas is um, labia reduction and where do they get the idea that that's not attractive it's through watching porn so i mean that must certainly is girls but also boys kind of tempt talking to them as well you know young girls start shaving their pubes at a really early age these days you know again it's something that's kind of come up through through porn is that do you think because of what they see or is it because of pressure from Both. boys yeah Both. Yes, definitely both. And I went to this porn conference last week and one of the kind of the images was kind of this girl from kind of Victoria's Secrets, you know, this girl looking glamorous and pouting. And then they asked the audience, OK, what message is she giving? And the, you know, the answer was, you know, I'm ready for it. And then they look at a young man who is kind of in chinos and you know what's what's he what's messages he giving i'm ready for it you know so there is this difference you know that girls are almost being groomed on the internet now i mean i think the other sad thing about pornography is the fact that it's a kind of a, a global industry it's it's everywhere you know big companies are really involved in helping to promote the the porn industry big companies can i ask you've got a son you've got a daughter is there any different ways in which you should approach how you speak to them any different you know challenges that they're each going to face i mean presumably for both them self-esteem is you know fairly crucial but when it comes to how you parent and how you address the the sexual <laughs> challenges you know son and daughter is it is it different well, or is it the same if i think about my grandchildren so we've got eight grandchildren aged between 26 and seven. Our older two granddaughters in their 20s started talking to me when they were 14, 15, just getting into the boy scene. 
so that's always been a really positive, open discussion. The boys have been more inhibited. So I tried to do with all eight of the grandchildren last summer, I tried to have this discussion about things that worry them. Of course, the boys, nothing. Nothing worries them. So it, it is interesting. I think that teaching in a co-ed situation, sex education, boys are inclined to be maybe, to start with, being sillier than girls. They don't take it quite so seriously. If you get a boy on a one-to-one basis, then they're different. If, they're, if they get worried that they might have got, um, you know, there's something wrong, have I, I've got spots on my penis, you know, what is it? Have I got something awful? You know, at that point, they become very vulnerable. In fact, I think most young people are vulnerable, really. We were talking earlier about some of the, the sort of problems long-term for pornography use. You had a few statistics, didn't you, about... Yeah. Well, I, yes, erectile dysfunction is a huge problem and that can start quite young, which has a huge impact then on normal sexual relationship. If you've got erectile dysfunction, then you can't perform. And so, you know, maybe they start going down the Viagra route or, or just, you know, they stop being intimate. You know, that, and that's really sad. I can't remember the actual statistics, but it's high. Is that because they're so used to this sort of heightened visual stimulus that when, it, you know, in the reality of sexual relationships, it doesn't work like that? It is that, but also is that they often masturbate watching porn. And so if you masturbate all the time looking at these images, when the real thing, which is obviously far nicer, comes to them, you know, it's not the same. And I think that um, young people that get addicted to pornography i mean they're the ones that have you know such a huge problem do we have any sort of statistics on that in terms of because obviously i suspect there's a lot of people addicted who we just don't know about because masturbation itself is a very secretive thing isn't that's it? right yes there are statistics there's quite a good website called the reward foundation which has got a lot of stats in it and there's also something called porn land which is a book that's written by a professor in America that is, you know, she does so much work around pornography. Is there any other resources or if you were to encourage parents or educators to go and look, to do research, what would you recommend that that people look at? I always encourage young people to talk about it, but I think parents need to talk to each other as well. You know, because I think what happens is that parents sometimes feel ashamed of their children. But if they know that the people at the school gate or their friends, you know, I think there's a a lot of comfort almost knowing that I'm not alone in this. You know, my child isn't the kind of the the freaky, wacky one. And so I think that self-help groups are really good to be able to start to unravel some of the things that that are going on. There is a very good group called Boys in Mind. It all started, there was a boy that jumped off the Bristol suspension bridge and killed himself. And it was a group of his friends that got together afterwards. This was probably two, three years ago. His friends that said, we didn't know how low he was. And they got in contact then with a teacher. And it's grown from that. It is helping, particularly young men talk about their feelings. So now they've got parents involved. It's parents knowing what's going on in a young person's mind, but also 
been able to talk to each other. But you'd be interested in this kind of group. You know, it's all to do with what is it that pushes that person over the edge? Are teenagers today in a very sort of sexualised culture? Or is it less sexualised and more driven by social media and pornography? And It's a hyper-sexualised society, I think, that we live in. But part of that is because of the media, Snapchat, Instagram, all of those things. And now I can't remember, there was another statistic that somebody would might take 45 selfies in order to get that one that they find acceptable. And that's because they're so conscious of the way that they look, because that's how they have to present. If you're, again, we're advising parents, it is to really be watching and helping them to monitor the young people's use of a mobile phone in their early years, you know, 12, 13, 14, when they first get a phone, that they're really sort of both, you know, monitored Mm. and they're also protected against Mm. certain websites. That's right. And I think one of the things that we do in kind of the relationships and sex education or this is what we encourage schools to do, is again to look at some of the the sites that are really positive. So the um, Children's Society do some brilliant um, safe guarding type of resources that you can use in class, which also, I think, again, is good for parents to be able to see those things as well. They do a survey called the Shoe Survey, and it's a national thing from Exeter University where they look at attitudes of young people. And one of the sections is on internet safety and sex and things that they might look at. And there's again, I've got the statistics for this, how many children in primary school have sent a picture that they've regretted sending later It's something like 19% of the year sixes have said that. I mean, it was interesting how many girls say they are, you know, have requests for pictures of them or, you know, they get, they get bombarded by, Mm. you know, with requests. And I think partly when I've dealt with boys who've been caught up in sexting and there's a sense of, gosh, everybody's doing it, which of course everybody isn't although quite a lot are but also that sense of feeling flattered and wanting that sort of gratification that comes from somebody who's prepared to do that and that's why i think again in our lessons it's important that young people know the law and what kind of you know if you're sending a picture of yourself you know that that is illegal or if you're receiving it and keeping it on your phone it's illegal and you can be prosecuted, you know. So that's really kind of the type of thing that young people need to know. Yes, absolutely. And that's there's been some very tricky and difficult situations with pupils and parents over issues like that, simply because they haven't been aware of the law or they have and have just chosen to sort of ignore it or not feel that it's applicable to them. Well, I know in one place where there was something was referred to the police and the police have just said they've just been inundated with issues of sexting. And actually, although the law is there and it's in place... The ability to actually sort of follow up is is virtually nil. Yes. And I think that often the police, depending on who the police are, but often they are quite good at coming into a school and talking to that particular year group or that particular class so that they know the how illegal it is and that they could get themselves into serious trouble. Viv, I've got one more question. Do you think we can really make a difference? And if so, how? Yes, I think we can make a difference. I think the difference we make is that they feel special and that that we are 
open to receive and answer all of their questions. And if we don't know the answers that we will find out for them, I think that is so key. So many young people, I mean, it is a bit like these young people that go off and commit suicide because somewhere they felt as though there was nobody there for them. I think we are on an uphill struggle in terms of being able to control the social network that goes on for young people these days it's so much bigger than you know than we've ever had to to cope with and it's not going to go away so i think it's important that we try to keep up to date with what's going on biff thank you so much for all your time thank you very much Viv. you've been listening to talking teenagers music has been by rue pains editing by george purvis and james certain information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be yourself.